Good day, everyone, and welcome back to the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. My special guest today, and I have never met, but he was a huge reason why my first season in Turks and Caicos during the summer of 1994 was so special. Why is that, you ask? Well, he was the man responsible for setting up the 70 celebration that came to Turks that season for three glorious weeks from September 2nd to September 23rd, 1994. We actually did the YMCA crazy signs with the actual village people. Other celebrities that came were Ron Palillo from Welcome Back Cotter, Lyle Wagner from Wonder Woman, Barry Williams, who played Greg Brady on The Brady Bunch, and others. It was so special that because it was my first season, I thought that every club met around the world was doing the exact same thing we were my first season. And it was only after my first season that I realized that I was very lucky to have experienced that in Turks and Caicos because it never happened again. So for the last 28 years, I've been talking and raving about the 70 celebration to anyone who would listen to me. And the man who put it together is here today, listeners. He worked for Club Med from September 1987 to 1995 at Club Med Corporate in New York City. He was the director of advertising and sales promotion in the marketing department. And he didn't just do the 70 celebration. He did so much more. And we're going to talk a lot about the TV and radio campaigns as well. From New York City, please help me give a warm welcome to Anthony Salerno. Hey, Anthony, how are you today? I'm okay, Greg. How are you doing? Good. So glad I found you. So glad I tracked you down and very happy you are here today. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. Were you expecting a, an invite from me? Did you know I was looking for you all these years? <laughs> I didn't. Um, okay. <laughs> I wasn't a village GO. So I, you know, and everyone that you've interviewed so far was actually a village GO. So I, I guess I'm the first New York office GO. Yes. Yes. I believe you are, sir. And uh, in your bio, you told me, you know, you you went to UCLA, but uh, not not on the West Coast. And as, you know, much as I know about the college system, there's no UCLA in the uh, in the East Coast. So if you can tell our listeners where UCLA is uh, on the East Coast, sure. So that came up. I went to a school in an old building in Manhattan, and we had an elevator operator. He was always cracking jokes. And one day I walked in, and he said, "Welcome to UCLA." And I looked at him, and he goes, "Yeah, the university on the corner of Lexington Avenue." I knew it as Baruch College, but I thought it was a great joke that he had going in. Uh, that's something I still think about and him when I think about my college days. I wonder if he made that up because that, that guy would have been good in advertising, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so where did you, if you went to school in New York, would you recall when you first uh, heard, heard about Club Med? Uh, did you see an ad or did someone you know uh, go to a Club Med? I was heavily influenced by TV and Bewitched was one of my favorite TV shows. And I wanted to be just like Darren Stevens. Yes. Okay. Not many people would know. I'm guessing, you know, that actor, there was two different actors that played Darren Stevens. Do you know their names? Dick York and Dick Sargent. Yes, of course. <laughs> All right. Dick Sargent <laughs> came in in like season five or something like that. You probably did good at the uh, the Welcome Back Cotter trivia in Turks when we had it, I'm guessing. You probably knew all the answers, right? <laughs> uh, I think I did okay. <laughs> the one I got, the one I couldn't get was, what was the name of Arnold Horshack's girlfriend? And I, I can't believe I... Hatsi Tatsi. Yes, I blanked on that one, but I figured you'd get that one. Okay. So you want to go in advertising. Now, was there, uh, did you see any Club Med ads at the time? Or is this someone you know went? I was went? in New York. I was in New York and I hadn't been exposed to the advertising yet. I guess I wasn't part of the target audience. I learned a little bit more about that as I got involved. My cousin had gone to Club Med and she came back. She had gone to Paradise Island and she was raving about it. And she was telling me that I would enjoy it. And so I started asking around with my friends and nobody wanted to go. And I wasn't going to go on vacation by myself. But then, unfortunately, my brother, who was my younger brother, who was prone to brain tumor, to tumors, had a brain tumor and he passed away. And that changed my entire outlook on life. I was like, got to live for the moment now. After everything was uh, calmed down, I ended up going to the Club Med Boutique on East 54th Street and off of, off of Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, sat down and booked a Club Med vacation for myself. And I went to Paradise Island based on my cousin's recommendation. Was it a singles village back then? It was a single, yes. Definitely okay. not a kid village. This would have been, I guess, obviously 1986. 83. Oh, 83. 83. Okay. Yes. Wow. First Club Med. Paradise. Wow. Do you remember the chief or anything? <laughs> I don't remember the chief, oh. but I remember getting off the plane and being taken to a boat that took us across to Paradise Island, which was mm -hmm. great. 
And I remember the one person that worked there that stood out the most was the animator, E.T. He E.T. was hysterical. E.T. Do you remember Do you remember where E.T. was from? He was from Turkey. Oh, he's the, from the Turkey. The little things I remember. Okay. Yeah. Was he named after the movie or the E.T. stand for something else? Okay. I think it stood for extra Turkish, if I remember correctly. Oh. E.T., if you're listening, <laughs> you know, get in touch with uh, Greg here. And let yes. Him know. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably, yeah, that's a great nickname actually. <laughs> Extra Turkish. Okay. <laughs> wow. And he was, and he was pretty funny. I had us in stitches all week. And I mean, I've seen many animators throughout um, my time at Club Med. They've all been great, but he was my first one. And I didn't realize that a resort would do something like this. And it just, you know, it's what turned me on. And so what happened, that was 83, 84, I went to Martinique by myself. Oh Again, I said, I don't care if nobody wants to go. I'm going. Went down. I'm from New York. Met a big New York crowd down there. Came back. Friends with a lot of people. Ended up the following year. Now, this will be my third trip in 85. I went to Cancun with two of the guys I met in Martinique in 84. Then I went to Martinique again with some friends from work in 86. And around that time, I started saying, you know what, I can't, you know, I'm in advertising and I'm, I'm working full time, but they don't pay that much. I have to try working for their advertising agency. Maybe I can get some free trips out of it. So I sent my resume to the ad agency at the time, Amarati and Purist. And I said, you know what, let me send my resume to Club Med. Maybe there's something in the New York office. I get an invite to interview with the media director at Amarati and Purist. And it went well. And I was waiting to hear back and I had an invite from Club Med to meet with Daniel Otfoil, who was the advertising director. And he was resigning after many years to go to the Wharton Business School. So my resume actually landed on his desk the day he announced his resignation and he called me in. I went in early in the week to meet him. He had me come back on Friday to meet with Jacques Chirot, who is the then CEO, but he was going to be leaving. And uh, Jean-Luc Guizan-Chapon, who was the incoming CEO, met with them at lunchtime. They called me up five o'clock. I got the call from HR. We'd like to hire you. How soon can you start? I said, I'll let you know on Monday. I knew I was going to do this, but I just needed to think about everything. I called them up Monday morning and I said that I accepted the offer. And I started two weeks later. It was the beginning of September. And they were in the middle of production, pre-prep for a TV commercial shoot down in Punta Cana. So I come from media. It was a very fast learning experience, you know, out of the fire and into the frying pan type of thing. I learned so much. I'd been exposed to it at my advertising job, but never hands-on. And two weeks after I started, I was in Punta Cana for two weeks while we filmed our first TV commercial. And that okay. was with Damaradi and Purist. Okay, let's back up a bit because this is interesting. So you you went to Club Med a few times as a you know, GM. So every other every GO I know quit their job to become a GO. But you, since you majored in advertising, you, I guess you kind of wanted to keep your job. And then thought you know smartly. So um, well, let me go apply to you know the advertising, the head office. So was it was it was that always the plan? Like you never wanted to be a, an actual GO in the village? At that point of my career it was going very nicely and there was no way i was I'm a very responsible person and i was like i got to think about the future for me you know the short term and the long term i said i can't go to a village but if i could just work on their account at the agency or in their office that would be great had i been to club med before i started in advertising i'm almost 100 percent sure i would have applied to be a geo in a village are you saying you couldn't you couldn't have lived on four fifty a month? <laughs> Just no, you don't have to answer that. Okay. <laughs> no, I think you did the right thing. And did you? I assume you wound up getting what a certain number of trips free every year. We were entitled to four weeks vacation a year. We could stay at the club if we wanted. We were allowed to bring family members with us. Um, I brought my parents on a few trips. I uh, brought friends with me on trips. Just they had to pay airfares. The land stays were free. And so I would, and to be honest, I once calculated my times in the village while I worked at Club Med, which was almost eight years. I spent over a year in the villages with commercial shoots, photo shoots, sales meetings, vacations. It was just, you know, a great time. So did you go to all the villages in the North American zone? 
while you were working? I, for- I hit most of them. I never went to St. Lucia and I never went to Columbus Isle okay. or Estopper. Those were the only three I didn't go to. So you started in 87. So we're, we're going to work our way up to 94 when our, our paths cross. Other than that uh, commercial that was being filmed in uh, Punta Cana, did you, uh, were you in charge of like print or any anything having to do with radio ads? Uh, like how what was a typical week like for you? I guess I'm asking. Sure. So I was in charge of all paid media for Club Med. So paid media, that was TV, radio, print ads, out-of-home ads. We didn't have digital. We didn't have internet back then. So everything that was going in the traditional offline media was under my responsibility. And I worked closely with the ad agency, or I should say three ad agencies, because that's how many ad agencies we had during my time there. And from what I understand, like you sent me a few articles, you sent me a Forbes article from back then. Was Clubhead's yes. uh, advertising budget around 15 million US back then? It was, uh, it ranged, I think. At one point, we had a high of almost thirty million. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's quite a lot. It, is it or was it a not? hefty budget? It was a hefty budget. It was really nice. Thirty million. And we were all over Club Med back in the eighties. We did a lot of advertising into the early nineties. That's right. And then around the mid nineties, it's it started to slow down. Most uh, XGOs on the on the show site, when I asked them, you know, how did they find out about Club Ed? It was usually one of your ads. For me, especially, it was poignant because, you know, I'm from Montreal and we hate winter here. And there was this one commercial. I don't know if this was your your doing or you were responsible for this. It was a guy like in a snowstorm, like, you know, 60 mile per hour winds. And you're watching this for what seemed like 20 seconds, him trying to walk against the wind and the snow. And then the caption comes up, you know, you hear the music. And then could you imagine one week, you know, and that, that commercial would kill me every time, you know, because... <laughs> It would be like, yes, what am I doing here? You know. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like one of those that were made for the Canadian office. I worked closely with Alex Okayem up in Canada during that time. He had his agency and they did their own creative, a different market. Yeah, yeah, I'll say. <laughs> Let's just take uh, one of the most famous taglines and you can explain to me why it was replaced. So the antidote for civilization, which I always thought was amazing, uh, was replaced, right? At one point with take home a club med vacation. Yes. Okay. So the antidote for civilization had been around since uh, the early 80s, as I recall, came from Amirati and Puris. It was a very well-known uh, boutique agency in Manhattan. And they really positioned the club as this upscale, sophisticated place to go on vacation. And it, the antidote for civilization really said it all. At that point in time, there were no phones in the rooms, no locks on the doors. So it was, it, it was everything it was the antithesis of civilization, and it worked really well. Now, while I was there at Club Med, as I mentioned, Dr. Rowe was leaving, John Luke was coming in, and then John Luke left, and we got another person running the show, Michael Coogan, who was the president. And then after he left, after a couple of years, John Michelle Lando. So each time they had different goals in mind. So I would have to go and look for a new agency, what we, what, what we call in the business an agency search. And so it was time to move away from the antidote for civilization because Columbus Isle was open, the Club Med 1 was there, and they were not as b- basic as the original Club Med. So we interviewed a few agencies and, hired, and asked a few to go down and come back with different ideas on how they would position Club Med. And so we ended up with something that was really emotional, what I feel was an emotional tagline, and it actually played well for me personally. They came back with the idea of take home a Club Med vacation. In other words, you can do so many different things at Club Med that you may have not done before. You're going to come back a different person. And that was the premise behind it. And it, it hit me right away. I had never water skied before Club Med. I had never flown on a trapeze before Club Med. I had never touched a, and those are the two things I liked a lot. I had never touched a windsurfing board before Club Med or sailing, but I tried them all. So it gave me the opportunity. And I, I really, the idea resonated with me. And that was the tagline that we ended up going with for a few years. I recall the commercial was 
a father watching his daughter fly on the trapeze for the first time. And the smile on her face when she dismounted was amazing. And people just really took to the commercial. And then eventually that tagline was replaced with the one we all know, life as it should be, correct? Right. Yes. So another person running the show and another agency search. And we ended up, oh, you're going to love this one. The agency was Mesnovateri Burger McNeese Schmetterer. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. That's a mouthful, <laughs> huh? <laughs> they came up. Oh, totally. I felt sorry for the receptionist. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they came up with the idea of Love Med is life as it should be. Again, another idea that hits you emotionally and something I totally related to because when I was away from the office and from New York, I was like, this really is the real world, not what I'm doing back home in New York City. So that played well. And so we created some commercials for that tagline as well. And uh, we, like I said, we were spending some hefty money. We were advertising nationally. We were advertising on television. We were doing heavy ups in the local markets, New York, LA, San Fran, Miami, wherever we had charters, we would make sure that we had good advertising support behind it so we could fill the charters going out. And those were for the TV commercials. We would do radio commercials as well to support them. They would Radio commercials would tie into the theme of the TV commercials. It was a great opportunity for me because besides the 70s show, and you mentioned the, the celebs that came in, which I'm a big celeb fan, I ended up working with um, Michael Nuri from Flashdance. He recorded one of our commercials. And Joe Cirola was the voice of Club Med. He was an actor and voiceover person. Not Maybe his name is not as well known, but he had been an institution in the business. And then there was also... Frances Sternhagen. Frances Sternhagen, yes. I remember her as the mother, the grandmother on ER to one of the doctors. And I know that you remember her from another show that I didn't watch. Uh, Cheers. Yeah. She played Cliff Clavin's mom on Cheers. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I admit it. I never watched Cheers. But so I've, I had an opportunity to meet some some interesting celebs along the way. And also photographers, Zul Ben Simone, very famous. He was like the official L magazine photographer. He was actually married to Ellen Pearson. I had met her when she came to pick him up from the airport when we came back from a shoot. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh, wow. So, so you're meeting a, a person uh, in her yeah. prime, uh, prime modeling. Wow. Definitely. Uh, it was the 80s. Let me ask you a question. Like, uh, you know, I hate to draw comparisons to Mad Men here, but since I love Mad Men, I'm sure you've watched the show. When these uh, agencies come in to pitch you, is it kind of like in the show where, you know what? The client doesn't know what he wants. We're going to tell him what he wants. Did you ever get that feeling from one of these agencies? Like you, That they, does happen. It does? Okay. It does happen. <laughs> How do you navigate that? I would do my best to make sure that I delivered the information, what our objective was, what was our business objective, what was our marketing objective, so that they could come back with a creative concept and even a media plan that would fulfill all of that. Obviously, branding was extremely important to Club Med. We were, we had numbers, I recall, back in the late 80s, as high as 80-something percent. We were just behind, I think it was Disney and one other account that had, one other travel piece of business that had such high numbers. So we were definitely up there. We had phenomenal branding. Even though bigger agencies were pitching you, because I, again, I'll go back to that Forbes article, which is interesting that there are smaller boutique agencies that want to have to get creative and inventive to get your attention, right? Because I remember reading that you once received a box or, or uh, Michael Kubin received a box containing only shreds of burnt paper and videotape. And then they said, the agency said, well, we tried to send you our reel, but the competition destroyed it. Things like that get a smaller uh, firm noticed and uh, like, or at least give you a chuckle. <laughs> it got noticed. In good ways and in bad ways. Okay. So we definitely did get some interesting concepts during a pitch, during the presentation. There was one agency who actually created the their office as a club med village with tiki huts all over the place. That didn't go over too well because it actually brought down the uh, the concept that we were looking to go. At this point in time, we were actually I was I was part of the segmentation shift that we were going through away from the sing swinging singles to the families and the couples. And they had actually hooked onto the swinging singles aspect of it. And it didn't fly. And we also had a committee for picking the new ad, ad agency. So besides me and whoever was president at the time, 
Surge generally involved in all of these pitches as well, meeting with the different agencies. Okay. Can you take me like, like a typical week, like say you have to go um, do a shoot in the village, a club at village. Can you, can you describe a bit what, you know, what the start and end looks like of that? Sure. Planning involved. Yeah. There's a pre-pro that starts back in New York and I'd be working with the agency, figuring out what we need, when we need it, et cetera. And there'd be a, a very detailed calendar. And then I would get a hold of the chef de village. If I knew him, great. If not, I'd introduce myself and then I would work with someone on his team so that they could prepare for us to come down. Usually needed a big block of rooms because we'd come in with agency people, probably about six or eight of them. We'd have our talent, probably another six or eight. Then you'd have your crew. Could be another 20 or 30 people. So basically, I was taking over the village and the hardest part was we had to be as invisible as possible because everyone else was down there on vacation. So I'd work with the team in the village to make sure that they that we did everything as seamlessly as possible so that guests were not disturbed, yet we can still get the shoot that we needed, get, get the uh, film that we needed, because we were spending millions of dollars to produce this. Did you ever hire geos while you were there, or they just were in background, or you already had your main people, models, actors? We, we'd always bring down key people that the casting... Uh, agents at the agency would want to be part of it. But I remember in the very first shoot, 1987, we used quite a few GOs mixed in with the paid talent. There's uh, a commercial that we did that they were riding horseback in the water. Uh, there was another one, the GOs were doing this. There was another one where we had them doing the windsurfing, two windsurfs. Two windsurfers crossing uh, with the, the sunset behind them, which is really nice where it was sunrise, but it was, the, the light was beautiful on that. So, yeah, we would use as many geos as we could. Sometimes they would just be in the background. I've gotten every single campaign as well. I did a what I called an Alfred Hitchcock. So we'd usually shoot three commercials every campaign that we did, and I'd always get into at least one in the background. I was dancing in one of them. I... My favorite one was when I was working the bar on the trapeze, although I'd never done it before, but I got the bar and I sent it back to Lee May, who was Bob Christian's daughter. She was the one flying. And this was in Cancun. The best was when, oh, this was a great shoot. Prep, talk about prep. I had to call up Bob Christian's to say, Bob, we're shooting a commercial and it involves the trapeze. Great, great. Okay. What do you need? Okay, I uh, need a trapeze set up in Cancun. You know when you drive up the before you hit the village itself, before you hit planning, et cetera? I said, we need to put it on the water over there. And Bob did it. He got it done, brought his team, and it was phenomenal. Are you saying he put up a full rig? This was a, a full rig before the, before the trapeze ever went to Cancun officially. Because now guess, where it is, it's a different spot. From what yeah, I remember. You, know, you know if they were toying with the idea of keeping it there as an activity or you just couldn't do it where it was on the water? No, they couldn't at that point in time and they couldn't keep it there. But we did it and we put it up there just for the, for the filming of this commercial that we did. And because we were filming different, well, we were filming at one location, it was supposed to be representative of all the locations. So you could probably see the water from one of the other villages, but we couldn't shoot in that village. So we just rigged it up and put the trapeze where we wanted it. So it looked like it was there. We also did a room set up on the beach so that it looked like when you open the doors, you could step out onto the beach. You can do that in some of the villages, but not at the village we were shooting at. So we just rigged up the room and it was, it was amazing how they, they being the production crew were able to make the rooms look just like the rest of the other rooms that were there, but just had the view that we wanted where the sun was going to be in the right spot. You have to take a lot of things into consideration. We built a tiki hut on the beach way before any of them had it. And then we ended up leaving it there for the village and they loved it. And it, when I went back a few years later, I know it was still there. So we, you, we brought some nice things down to the villages. Have you checked, uh, are any of these commercials able to be seen on YouTube? Like, have you ever done a deep dive on YouTube to see if I have seen some of the commercials. Okay. Um, I would say if you look for them, club med would be obviously the keyword. You might try Amarati and Purist. Okay. 
Would that's name one it? of the ad agencies. PBWA okay. would be the other, and they might be there. Okay. Somewhere in my garage, in my memoirs here, my superheroes, <laughs> I know I have commercials somewhere. Okay. Well, let's fast forward a bit to 94. So this, uh, as I said in the intro, this was a huge part of my first season, and I thought it was completely normal that this was done every season. But how did um, but how did the uh, idea get started to do a 70s celebration? Why, why 70s? Why not 60s, 80s? Like, how, how did it happen? Okay, so the sales team had been toying around with the idea, and there was one person in particular who was starting to, to put some ideas, some events together, Donna Dorenzo. And Donna, if you hear this, I know that uh, you know you were the one who started this. You had put together a few different programs. Tennis was one of them, which I know she was a big fan of. And I proposed the idea, in fact, two ideas. And one, I know she ran with one, a soap opera festival in Latulco. And we had a few New York soap stars going down to the village and, and interacting with the guests. And I was a big 70s fan. Disco, loved it. So I proposed that idea. And so we got the green light. And that's when I started making calls around Manhattan. I found out who repped who. I found the village people's rep, said, you know, we'd love to have them come down. Found Barry Williams' manager. Talked to Ron Palillo directly ended up taking him out to lunch before we even went down. And that's when I proposed the idea to him and he loved it. Tried to get Epstein. Oh, you did? Hage, I think his name. We tried to get Epstein, yeah. but that didn't work. Okay. Um, that didn't work out from a timing perspective. I guess John, Travol- I brought- John Travolta too was a, was a no-go. Oh, <laughs> that was definitely a no-go. I mentioned it to, him, to Ron, but no, that didn't go. Okay. And then I invited Paco, a big DJ from the disco days, and I brought down some dance instructors who taught the hustle. Well, can I ask you a question um, before before we go on? Like, since you're from New York City and you love disco, were you did you ever go to Studio Fifty Four? Did you ever get in? I did, but it was more or less when it was you know past its prime. Okay, I, didn't want, I didn't want to get into, you know, that wasn't my scene there, I, but I was into okay. more of the local, local clubs uh, around my neighborhood. Okay. Um, All right. I was just curious, uh, the timing wise, I think you might've, you might've been there, right? Uh, oh yeah, it was there. And I, I would watch the comings and goings. And then I ended up, I ended up eventually going into it and it, it was a wild and Crazy place there. How do you how do you get then uh you know Lyle Wagner from Wonder Woman and the Carol Burdett show? How do you how do you get a Lyle Wagner? I actually met Lyle and Sharon Wagner at Turks a few years prior. Really? And they were just on vacation and we started talking, blah blah, whatever. She had given me their contact info and I had it in my Rolodex. Yeah, back in those days we had oh, Rolodexes. Wow. And so <laughs> I said, I'm gonna call Lyle Wagner. I got hit Sharon on the phone. We started talking and uh, they loved the idea because they were fans of the club. Man. Okay. Didn't know that. We, I remember I, uh, he used to come by the scuba shack to uh, talk to me a lot. Cause he knew uh, my job was, you know, as scuba gestion wasn't the most glamorous. So <laughs> <laughs> he, he would sit and talk to me. So yeah, he was very nice, very nice guy. How did the uh, month of September, like why not July, August? Was that just because everyone's schedule was freer in September? It was a matter of juggling space in the village, the talent's availability, who can go when, what was going on in the villages at the time, where we could find seats on the charter, because we we did our best not to have to pay for anything when we do this. And in fact, all those people that I brought down were invited as guests. We didn't have to pay anybody. They all just came down for the week's vacation. So they got their airfare and accommodations. Exactly. Now, how much planning with the great chief of village, Jean-Pierre Grand, did you have to speak with him before or only when you arrived? Oh, no, I had had worked closely with him before I even arrived at the village. And he was phenomenal. And you obviously worked with him. So, you know, Mm -hmm. he was phenomenal in, in making sure that everything went smoothly. I had the full support of the team for everything. With the village people, for example, no one could be in their dressing room, so everyone had to leave. They had to have uh, certain accommodations that were made uh, according to their contractual rider. Which, okay, so uh, there, so there is a rider, like, and and so they they didn't like ask you to remove all the blue M and Ms from the M and M bowl, right? Like, no, I this... think that was just Diana Ross or somebody. Right? Oh, okay, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, but some of these riders are, gets pretty specific, right? Like, yep. 
remove all the raisins from the raisin brand type of thing. So did, uh, were the village people aware that Club Med was the only company in the world that was playing their their song 60 times a day? Like, did they know this before they came? Or I don't think they knew it. I'm, I think they found it out when they got down there. Okay. And, um, and when they actually, so one night, one of the nights there, and you'll recall this, they put on a show. Yes. And then YMCA came on and everybody just started doing crazy things. Yeah, because I, you know, started there in June. So from June to September, you know, it was on constant rotation, mm-hmm. right? So the fact that yeah. they actually show up and you're doing <laughs> YMCA, uh, and, and most people don't get that chance, right? But it's a pretty surreal moment when you're <laughs> doing it with the people that sang the song, right? I mean, it's exactly crazy. Spread over three weeks. So that was just to, again, to accommodate the people because you had Henry Gross, right? Who sang the song Shannon, I believe, right? That came right. by. Right, yep. And Paco, the DJ you mentioned. Now, here's something very interesting. True or false? Did you meet your future wife there that week? I did. Okay. Now, actually. Yeah. How? You want to know how? Okay. Yeah. So on the plane in New York, on the charter, waiting to take off, there were some uh, delays with the equipment. I, I use the term loosely for the village people because it's not like they were playing, you know, yeah, instruments. instruments, but it was their <laughs> costumes and their makeup, et cetera. So there was a delay. I was walking around talking to all the guests up front that were part of the celebration. And I, was, I remember I was talking with the cowboy from the village people. Jeff Olson was his name. And this girl walks by and she goes, hey, boys, where's the party? And she continues walking down the plane, you know, to, to go to the restroom. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and that's when I first noticed Marie. And then when we got down to the village, we went to the room above planning, if I remember correctly, and we were using it as a dance studio. And so I brought some local dance instructors that I'd seen at clubs that I go to to teach the hustle, 70s dance craze. And they paired me up with this girl that I saw on the plane. And little by little, uh, during the course of the week, we ended up liking now, each other. Um, uh, did you ask them to pair you up or just happened that way? <laughs> no, it just happened that okay. way. They actually, wow. and, and, and she and my wife at that time, she had a friend that she was hanging out with. She had gone down alone, my wife. She was hanging out with this other girl and she kept trying to push this other girl for me to dance with her because she didn't want her to be left out. Oh, but okay. she wasn't as light on her feet as Marie was. And I kept okay. gravitating towards Marie to dance with, with her. Because you're tired of and, your your feet getting stomped on, right? No exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> and then we're hanging out with everybody and, and they kept pairing Marie and me up. And even Ron Palillo was, was saying, you guys are good together. And I was like, oh, great. Taking love advice from Arnold Horshack. And I say that <laughs> with, with respect, he was a great guy. Rest, yes. rest in peace. We ended up hanging out all week we were in the show together uh dancing as we put on a hustle performance with a couple of other people that were in the crowd that were learning the show we came home on a friday afternoon that was the charters from new york were friday to friday came home on a friday afternoon went out dancing that friday night just marie and me and had a great time and before you knew it that was in september by april we were engaged and then we were married the following march yeah, and so next next March will be your 28th year anniversary. Exactly. Wow, congratulations. Keep in track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Can we get back to Ron Palillo for one sec? Sure. You know, definitely rest in peace, because I remember like you would also, you organize photo ops with these guests, right? You could go up and take a photo. And I remember right. vividly exactly what I said to him. And I, I'll never forget his reaction because, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of moving, waiting your turn, click, click, bye. Uh, before we took the photo, I said to him, you know, thank, thanks for all those years. You made me laugh. And he looked so genuinely touched. Like, like he, uh, like he just like, it's like the air went out of him, you know, I guess he wasn't expecting mm. that. I mean, I, I genuinely meant it, you know, because, you know, you never can never, how often do you get the chance to, you know, thank someone for making you laugh if you had a bad day or whatever. Right. And exactly. And he was so different from his character in real life. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's always so consistently funny on that show as, as they all were, you know? So the, yeah, that's he was one polished sort of guy and he was very, you know, talkative and not at all, you know, like Arnold. 
Yeah. And I, I meant like I, everyone was, was, was kind and sweet. I, you know, I only have good stories to tell, you know, and I, I even remember talking to Barry Williams and like I told you, I don't know if this is true. Like he, either he was joking with me or or he was serious that he, like he, he said he came down with his bodyguard and he showed me who his bodyguard was, <laughs> but you're saying that might've been his manager, right? So I think it was his manager. So, I think in his mind, he was living in the okay. 70s and might've needed a, a okay. bodyguard when Brady <laughs> was popular, but I don't yeah. know. So, oh, I think, yeah, but it took 28 years because I was never sure. So at least it took 28 years for you to, you know, tell me uh, I, no, Greg, <laughs> the way you described him, Greg, that that was his manager. So, <laughs> so mystery solved. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't mind like after we post some pictures for your episode, like if I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if you wouldn't mind me including my village people photo because it's sure. one, of, one of my favorite probably the best photo ever taken because uh you know it just it deserves some a little explanation because the, the smile on my face is so wide uh felipe you know the the indian of the group is is pawing mm. at me it, it's funny what they were saying while we were waiting to get the picture taken what what they uh what they thought of me so to say okay <laughs> let's just say i was i was cute and in shape back then so i was actually <laughs> Mentally telling the photographer to please hurry up and take the picture. Okay. <laughs> because I don't know how long I was going to last. Okay. <laughs> so he, the photographer got the exact moment, you know, <laughs> but it's still the best photo ever taken of me in, uh, in club and I cherish it <laughs> as I, as I do those whole, those whole three weeks, because, you know, talk about getting, you know, you don't realize at the time you're lucky getting sent to Turks and Caicos. Cause I didn't know anything about it at the time when I was sitting at the table with other GOs and the guests would ask them, Hey, what's your favorite club? They'd always say Turks. And I thought, okay, you, you probably have to say that, right? Because you know, you you probably can't talk about another village, but when you leave, that's when you realize, wow, that was pretty magical, you know, that, that mm. season. And so, so I understood once I left that uh, it was like lightning in a bottle, you know, with, with everything that happened that season and and you guys planning a whole 70 celebration for us. It was, uh, it was, it was awesome. I mean, I hope you had as much fun as we did. Uh. <laughs> oh, I had a blast. Like I said, I, I was a product of the seventies. I just loved it. To, so to be able to pull that together and that was almost, that was one of my big hurrahs at Club Med. I mean, besides doing all the commercials that were seen by so many people, you know, pulling that together, doing the Archie comic. Was well, yeah, that was that was my next question, because I only I didn't know about this. Uh, what year did that Archie comic come out? Ooh, I think that was 91. OK, yeah. And I'm a big comic guy. I used to love reading Archie, but I, I didn't know about that. So can you tell me a bit how how that happened? Sure. Um, we were working on our family segmentation, pushing the villages with the mini clubs and all. And I was exploring different opportunities to advertise in. Most of them were the parent type of magazines. And I had read somewhere that children influence vacation decisions a lot. Parents are going to want to take their kids where they're happy. Disney is, that's why so many people do go to Disney, because it, the kids are influencing their parents. So I figured, you know what, how else can we reach the kids? And I thought of Archie Comics, but I said, let me put a twist on this. Let me call the Archie people in. They'll think they're coming in to sell me. I'm going to sell them the idea of sending Archie and the gang down to Club Med. And it worked. So I sent a, a writer and an artist down to St. Lucia so that they get a, get a feel for the club. And they came back with the story of me. I'm a character on the first page of the comic book. Seeing Archie and the gang performing at, at a concert. And I was like, you guys would be great at Club Med. Why don't you come down and work there? Not, not that I ever did that in real life but that was you know they took some liberties with the story and sent them and we sent them down and um, if you recall Archie and Mr. Weatherby the principal didn't get along and guess who was on vacation <laughs> as the Archies went down Mr. Weatherby was there so there was you know some conflict some funny stuff going on and uh, it was a good story and people were talking about it. I gotta say walking around the office with storyboards from the Archie people is like a phenomenal event that I'll never forget Showing so you, people, and I mean, people grew up with Archie, so they they can all relate. And and you and you said you approached them. Yes. How do you find out who how, were, were their offices in New York where Archie was? Yes, uh... they, they had offices in New York. And okay. I, you know, I would get sales reps calling me all the time. On occasion, I would call a sales rep to say, you know, I'm interested in learning more about your publication or your radio station or whatever. But most of the time, they would call me. But I ended up finding out who did Archie, and I called them up. 
Okay. Much as I love Archie, I kind of wish you also would have contacted Stan Lee and got us into a, a Marvel <laughs> uh, Spider-Man comic or something. <laughs> oh, come on. No, it would have had to be Superman because I'm a DC fan. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. I'm sorry. We don't have any time, Anthony. Uh, my, my, my light board is going off here. Okay. No, I, I like, I like, I like them both. I like them both, but you know, I, uh, I, well, yeah, no, a DC would have been great. You know, Superman comes in, saves the day, you know, no, that, but you know, the fact that you even got us in a comic, that's, that's pretty major, you know? Yeah. And we handed them out on the planes, for the, on the charters to go to the, oh, really? so that the kids could have something to keep them oh, wow. on. Um, and then we distributed them out at different trade shows that the salespeople went to. So we got, we got, copies out all over the place and it worked in our positioning I mean, as you know the club eventually was known for families more so than swinging singles you're the whole reason there's a you know there's an archie show now on, on cw called riverdale that's probably you <laughs> you brought it you brought it into the mainstream <laughs> oh boy no, I, I can't take credit for that all right also something i find very interesting is this person is still alive she's uh, i believe 89 years old still performing you were on a business trip to paris casting talent for your commercials and you wound up uh, having dinner with a grammy award winning singer and actress would you mind telling listeners who that was sure so we ended up uh, casting out of paris because we were a global organization so even the u.s could go and we, we'd cast out of paris because then we could avoid some of the restrictions in the u.s in terms of when people could work etc and what kind of rights we can get from them so we'd cast in paris and we'd generally be shooting in a French village. I know we shot in Caravelle once. And so I was with the producer from our ad agency, and we were there to find the talent. And the producer said, I have a friend. I invited her to dinner. She's going to bring her mother. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, we're more than merrier. You know, it was just a few of us there from the agency and, my, and me. I get to the restaurant, and I find the friend is talking to the producer and she has her mother with her and her mother was was is Petula Clark famous for downtown and don't sleep in the subway I made it a point to sit right next to her she was so nice she spoke French and I I don't speak French and in fact you know when they say don't stress the negative run a job interview when I met with Jean-Luc and Jacques Giraud I actually told them I don't know how many times they interviewed. you know I didn't speak French right I still got the job so that was great but anyway, she took care of me, helping me order off the menu. I wasn't exactly sure what everything was. And we just sat there and talked. And she told me about how she was doing a new record. And she was recording at Michael Jackson Studios in England. And it was just a night. I was like, what more can I ask for? I mean, this woman is a phenomenal singer. I've always been a fan. And now, by accident, I'm sitting next to her at dinner because someone knows her daughter. I mean, that was something else. I know. What are the odds that, like... You know, you have dinner with her, and then 1998, she meets Queen Elizabeth, and she's made a commander of the Order of the British Empire. You know, I mean, yeah. that's that's crazy, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then when she was on Broadway in Blood Brothers with Sean and David Cassidy, I sent her a note, and she invited me backstage. This was like oh. a year or two after I had, oh. had dinner with her. So Sean Cassidy, Partridge Family? Is this, uh, no, this David is... Cassidy, Partridge Family, Sean Cassidy, Hardy Boys. Oh, that's right. So. So since you're a seven, you're a 70s TV guy, you love those shows, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. All right. You want to take a funny story break? I'm sure all those times you've been in the resorts, do you have any funny stories? Anything wild, weird, wacky happened to you? Yeah. Uh, oh, a couple. Um, well, I remember after I had left Club Med, I went with my family to Punta Cana in 2002. And it was a Turks and Punta charter together. My kids at the time were four and one. The new people that had just left Turquoise after a week being there were already on the plane. Lands in Punta Cana. My wife and I were two of the first people to board. We had both of our kids. My wife had the kids. I was carrying two car seats. We're dragging luggage and everything, trying to get <laughs> to our seat in the plane. And in the middle of everything, as people were looking at us, I turned around and looked at my wife and I said, Marie, do you think I should tell them that we met in Turks? Yeah, that, I, I was just laughing. thinking that you guys <laughs> met in Turks when you're single and here you are lugging baby chairs and whatnot. It did, exactly. So, so that wasn't lost on you. You recognize that right away, right? Oh, totally. <laughs> okay. Right away. 
Was that common to mix two opposing charters like that together? <laughs> that would happen, yeah, based on the number of seats that were sold to each village based on what was going on. So, yeah, it, okay. it would happen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Could have two more diametrically opposed uh, <laughs> villages there coming together. Okay. <laughs> totally. I hope the Turks people run their best behavior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was it was a much calmer place, plane ride than when I had first come back from Martinique, which we were singing and dancing the entire way home. That was when they didn't have all the restrictions on the plane. I mean, we were just doing crazy signs and hands up on the entire flight home from Martinique in 84. It was wild. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And oh, wow. Even, even when we landed and we were waiting for the luggage, I remember one of the guys I had met got on the conveyor belt with the boombox and started while we were waiting, you know, for the luggage and started doing crazy signs and everybody, the luggage wasn't there. So the hands were free and everybody was just going along with it. But that's, <laughs> well, you know, this is before the strict uh, policies that were put in place. Yeah. I don't think you're allowed on the conveyor belt anymore, right? Exactly. <laughs> wow. That is crazy. Have you gone back several times since that 2002 visit? After that one, we went back in 2008 so my son would have been 10 and my daughter would have been seven we went to cancun and that was our last trip to club med kids didn't want to go they were like no no and don't put me in the mini club don't put me in the mini club we got down there my son said pick me up at noon the first day we went to pick him up at noon he said leave me here i'll, I'll come back at five <laughs> and at the end of the week he cried that he had to leave this was 2008 you said eight yes oh, okay yeah. oh that's right yeah yeah, well, I, I was there last in 2005, and that was the last, um, yes, singles uh, season. The hurricane came in, so when they, uh, you know, revamped it, reopened it. Yeah, that's right. It's family, uh, family village now. How could you not like? Had a ball. How could you not like Cancun? There's so much to do there. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, man! Uh, please, please, like, if I haven't asked you something, please, please jump in, Anthony. I, I, I wouldn't want to let you go without, without, you know, failing to, uh, to talk about something. Uh, am I forgetting to ask you anything or is there, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I know um, you had uh, also think, Frank, Frank Langella was also one of your, your um, right. people that did oh, radio right, right. commercials, right? Right. You know what? I think I said Michael Murray. I always get Michael Murray and Frank Langella mixed up. It was Frank Langella. Oh, Langella. oh, is that who you're talking about? Oh, because... yes. Well, yeah. One did Dracula. One did uh flash dance, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. So it was Frank. Frank Langella. Okay. Yeah. How, how was he to work with? Good. Yeah, nice guy, yeah. and you know, very professional, and we got some good takes in the commercials, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, no, I'll say. Well, you, you've, uh, yeah, you're definitely like the first person from the corporate offices we've had, so none of my other questions really apply to you, but, uh, you know, you've, there's, I know a lot of people love, you know, love the old uh, Club Med uh, advertising and slogans and everything. And, and you've, uh, you've supplied me with a lot of great photos from that, which we're definitely going to include uh, with this, uh, okay. with this episode. But, but no, please, if I haven't asked you something, or if we've covered a lot of it, please let me know, because uh, it's been really kind of you to take your time to talk to me. Sure, sure. I think that we've covered so much. I'm actually looking, I've talked about Spending over a year in villages, yes. In total, I, I, I actually did a count. I spent over forty-two weeks. No, forty-two villages, village trips. That's what I did. I did forty-two village trips that had me spending over a year in the villages. Okay, I've been all... to Turks nine times, Cancun seven, Punta six. I loved Punta, even though it was a family club. I went there as a single a few times and had a blast. Let me ask you this, but besides Jean-Pierre, because you've spent, you know, about as much time in the villages as a GO, who were some of your favorite chiefs of villages to work with? Uh, this is either as a GM or, or you know, you working in the corporate office. So what what, what are some of the names that you remember that you, you worked well with? Oh, boy, that's a, that's a tough one. Jean-Pierre, definitely. I'm trying to remember who, who was. Because um, the fact that you went Greg, to Greg Snyder? Greg Snyder, I think, was, wasn't he chief of village in Cancun? Well, he was also like he uh, when I was in Turks, he he actually replaced Jean-Pierre Grand, like uh, which would have been around September, start of October. So so Greg actually was the chief right after Jean-Pierre in 94. Oh, okay, but yeah, but he, he did work at Cancun. Sure. I remember in 93, we did a Playboy promotion and had a couple of playmates down in Cancun. I could have sworn it was Greg. Oh, OK. Um and I know uh, I've worked in villages with Ye and Dirk. And with those yeah. uh, 
playmates in Cancun. That was definitely a singles village then, right? Oh, definitely. It hadn't turned family yet, right? I'm just kidding. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I've known the, yeah, I, I believe I worked with, we had a guest on that was talking about that, that week. So it was a great week. Yeah, no, you, you met a lot of people you had, uh, Next, next to Geo, that you probably had the job that I think everyone wanted. <laughs> I will admit it was except, a great job except with a much more salary. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but remember, I was living in New York, so. I don't oh, know. That, yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I love I love watching those, those. beads. Only went so far. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true, and I love watching I love watching those videos like New York real estate, how much someone pays for one and a half, and how small it is, and you know they have to. Mm put their things vertically, you know, like, no, no, you're, no, you're right. You're right. It's not like, you know, you were Rockefeller or anything there, but, uh, but uh, I think even some people thought 450 a month was a lot back then for club. Yeah. <laughs> I sure did. Cause I was Canadian. So I get paid in us dollars. So it worked out for me. <laughs> that, that really did work out. That's nice. Well, Anthony, I, man, I want to thank you again for, for taking the time. It's so nice to talk with someone that's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, was a big part of my, my happiness <laughs> during my first season with the, uh, I'm glad I was able to do it with organizing that. Cause uh, I've never forgot it. And like I said, 28 years later, I'm still talking about it and hopefully for another 28 that's more. <laughs> that's great. I love it. 28 years and we're still talking about it. Let's hear from the other GOs who remember that. Oh yeah, there's a there's a lot still out there. I uh, I hope I hope uh, you know we get a lot of feedback on this one because uh, I know it was a special time in their lives uh, too. So uh, really, thank you once uh, once again, Anthony. This has been awesome. You're welcome, and thank you for the invite again. All right. Well, everyone, that was Anthony Salerno. We'll see you next week with another new installment of my first season. Bye, Anthony. Say goodbye to everyone. Take care, Greg. So long, everyone. Hope to hear from you. <laughs>